Thank you, worship team. It's great to worship the Lord, isn't it? No matter what kind of week you've had, if you can come in and give praise and glory to God. And our God is an awesome God. Amen. He is worthy of praise. I was, uh, <laughs> I was on the internet this week and I saw the uh, index page of MSN. And there's, the national news is picking up the debate over evolution that's going on here in Kansas. And I saw that the, the lead story was God versus Darwin. And I thought to myself, that's going to be a short fight. As near as I can figure it, Darwin is dead and his ideas along with him. But our God is an awesome God. I, I'm glad you're here on Mother's Day. I, I'm glad Mother's Day is on Sunday because God made mothers. God made motherhood. And all of us here today are in some measure products of influence of our moms. And the moment I say that, I know there may be some of you here today that you, you didn't have a, a mom who really loved you or a mom that was really in your life. But still, just the fact that she gave birth to you means that somebody cared enough to, to go through a lot of pain and suffering in order for you to be here. But most of us had wonderful moms, Christian moms, not perfect, but they, they had a big influence on our lives and continue to have a big influence to this day. There's something about being a mom that it, the, it just keeps giving, it keeps going on. I heard the president, this is a true story, the president was at his parents' house in Houston the other day. And uh, the president likes to get up early in the morning, he was up at 6 o'clock, came down, got some coffee, sat down on his parents' couch and put his feet up on his mom's coffee table. And Barbara saw that and said, George, get your feet off the table. And George Sr. said, for crying out loud, Barbara, he's the president of the United States. She said, I don't care if he's the president of the United States. I don't want his feet on my table. And Barbara closed out the story by saying even presidents have to listen to their moms. It is a challenge, though, for a pastor to know how to preach on Mother's Day because we want to bring honor to moms. And oftentimes, pastors will do things like preach out of Proverbs 31, which I've done quite a few times through the years. And, and moms will come and think, wow, this is Mother's Day, and, and I, I hear what I'm supposed to be like, and I'm not measuring up. I must be a failure. So even on Mother's Day, you go to church, and you, you, you get bombarded. So what does a preacher preach on Mother's Day to connect and to be a blessing and a benefit to moms? And beyond that, to be a blessing to everybody. God gave me a, a text that's going to be familiar to many of you today. You may have memorized this. You may have committed to memory. Some of you may even have plaques in your house that have this text on it. But trust me, this is something for mothers today. And, and not just mothers. It's something for all of us. Which is why I've entitled today's little message, Something for Mothers and Others. So if you're a mom, I really know this message is going to be a blessing to you. It's going to help you. But if you're not a mom, if you're a single person here today or you're in high school, trust me, this is going to be an asset for you that's going to help you a great deal in your life. I know something about moms because obviously I had a wonderful mother, and she's not here today. She is in Texas. Her sister passed away, and my dad is preaching the funeral today, and my mom is in South Texas. But I had a wonderful mother, and I'm so thankful that God has given her long life. I was even kind of late born in our family, but God has been good to me. I'm nearly 50 years old, and my mom is still here alive and in good health, and I praise the Lord for that. I have a marvelous, wonderful, and in my thinking, almost perfect wife, and she has been a wonderful mother and is a wonderful mother to our three sons, and now to we have a granddaughter. She just, she is the epitome of a mom. She's 
She's strict when she needs to be strict, but she's loving and gracious. And I've watched all those long hours that she's put in uh, doing things that, that I, I just would not find natural. My dad has a saying, and dad says, you can't make a mom out of a dad. And I think he's probably right about that, you know? I mean, that's pretty simple, but I just know this. I know that in the middle of the night when my kids would cry when they were babies, by the, sec- by the, by the time the decibels, the sound waves got to our room, my wife's feet were already on the floor and she was down the hall. I'm telling you, it would have taken a nuclear explosion to have gotten me out of bed. But there was just something about her heart that was attuned to that. And I've been blessed to pastor a lot of wonderful mothers, and I've listened to them as they've shared their stories with me, sometimes joyous stories, sometimes heart-wrenching stories. But one thing I've learned about moms, and I think this has something to do with with just being a woman, I think moms struggle sometimes with self-image. There is the fear of letting everybody down, the fear of being a failure. We hear a word today, we've heard it, I guess, the last 20 years ago, last 20 years or so, called supermom. Ladies want to be supermom, or they, they feel like the standard set before them is being supermom. Many of you moms, you, you work 40, 50 hours a week, whether you work outside the home or inside the home, you put in much more than a full day's work, a full week's work, and then you have the needs of your husband to attend to, the needs of your kids, and your involvement with the church, and after a while, it just sort of collapses in on you. A woman went to a Christian psychiatrist and said, I'm struggling. I'm just stressed out. I don't know what to do. I think I'm just falling apart. And the psychiatrist said, well, let me see what's going on in your life. And after he listened to her story, he said, I think I've got it figured out. You give 50% of your time to work. You give 50% of your time to your kids. And you give 50% of your time to your husband. He said, the numbers just don't add up. And I think that's how many moms feel. You're trying to be super mom. And the responsibilities and the pressures are huge. And then there are cultural pressures on you. You know, I watch the news like you watch the news, and, and you let something go wrong with kids, and kids do something bad and get on the news and, and get in trouble. And what's the first thing that the talking heads ask? Where were the parents? It's as if to say, if anything happens with your kids that's not good, it's your fault. But you know, as I study history, there were many great people who had kids that messed up badly. And by the way, you know, the end of the story is not told yet with most of our kids. We may go through some difficult times, but God knows the end of the story. Last night, I was watching one of the Christian channels that I have has Billy Graham um, Crusades from the past. And it looked like it was about 1970. And I got thinking about Billy Graham in those days and what was going on with Franklin, how Franklin was running wild. And if there had been a snapshot at that moment, probably Billy and Ruth could have felt like failures. But the end of the story hadn't been told yet. Today, Franklin Graham is probably preaching somewhere in the United States. So I just want to remind you, but you watch it. Aren't I telling the truth? When something goes wrong with the kid, the first thing that talking heads say, and we always, that's the sport in America, we're looking for somebody to blame. Where are the parents? Where are the parents? I'm just going to get on a soapbox for a moment, but you know what? At some point, this culture, this lousy culture is going to have to take some responsibility for the damage that it does too. It just really irks me that the people on television are saying, where are the parents? When the parents need to turn around and point to the people in television studios and the people who produce the movies and the music and say, look, you got some culpability in this too. But you hear it, don't you, moms? Where are the parents? 
And for some reason, moms feel the pressure more acutely than anybody else. There is the fear of failure. It could even happen in church, as I said a few moments ago. Last year, Mother's Day snuck up on me. I was in a series called You Can Begin Again. How many, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but do you remember the series? The, the image of the series was a start button on a computer, and it's how to reboot your life after a crash. And I had looked at six different ways that you can reboot your life after things go wrong, after you've been downsized, after you lose a job, you know, after you've gone through the loss of a loved one, after a messy breakup. I wanted to have one of the sermons in there just to say you can start life over again after you've messed up and it's your fault. And the title of that sermon was, After You Failed Miserably. One of the staff said, Pastor, have you noticed that on Mother's Day you're preaching after you failed miserably? What a, what a sermon title for Mother's Day. And you, you feel that. Sometimes you try your best, and then it backfires. There's a book called The, the Book of Heroic Failures. It's about people who, were, who tried to do their best, but it backfired. In 1978, there was a fireman strike in Great Britain, and they hired substitute firemen. And a woman got her cat caught up, stuck up in a tree, and she called the fire station. And the substitute fireman rushed out to her house, put a ladder up in the tree, rescued the cat, brought it back to the lady. And she was so pleased that she invited them in for tea and for, for cookies. And they celebrated for a little while, got back in their fire truck, backed out of the driveway, backed over the cat, killed the cat they came to rescue. <laughs> I feel like that sometimes. You, you try your best, and then it backfires. But I think as I listen to moms today, there are so many moms who wear almost an imaginary T-shirt with the slogan on it, the saying on it, that asks the question, will somebody please tell me I'm not a failure? Will somebody please tell me that this is not going to end badly? Well, if you're asking that question today, mom, or anybody else, there is somebody who would like to tell you that you're not a failure, and there is somebody who would like to tell you that it's not going to end badly. And that person is God. The text that I have for you this morning is one that probably most of you know very well from the book of Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. Where the Bible says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do and he will direct your paths. Now, I have needed this verse, and one thing is I have gotten ready for this message. God has shown me how much I need these two verses in my life, because even though I know them, living by them is something else. Now, just, just, just to ask for a show of hands, how many of you know those verses? You've at least heard them, you've thought about them. How many of you knew those verses were in the Bible? Would you just raise your hand? Look around this morning. I mean, this is a common text. Thank you. I, I could preach from, this is like John three sixteen. This is a very common text. We know it. It's very important to us. Now, why do we love this verse, these verses so much? I believe the answer to that is in the last part of verse 6, God makes a promise to us that is absolutely beautiful. We want this so badly. We hunger after it. We thirst after it. We want this in our life. And what is God's promise? God is saying that he will direct your paths. One translation translates it this way, God will make a way for you. That's what we want, isn't it? I mean, mom, if you feel like a failure today and you you feel like you're not getting through to your kids and some of them are acting out and some of them are struggling, going through hard times, 
Wouldn't you like to know that God will make a way out of your situation? That's what the promise is. When you get to the bottom line of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, God is saying, here is my promise to you. I will direct your paths. I will make a way for you. A few moments ago, I said we have an awesome God, and we do. Our God has a unique ability to make a way where there doesn't seem to be one. Isn't that true? I mean, study the Bible. When the Israelites got to the Red Sea, God made a way through the Red Sea. The Israelites were going through the wilderness. God made a way for them to go through the wilderness. When they got thrown into a fire furnace, Jesus showed up, changed the temperature. When Daniel was in the lion's den, God shut the mouths of lions. Our God is an awesome God who has a unique way of making a way where there doesn't seem to be a way. In Isaiah 43, verse 19, God said, I will make a pathway through the wilderness for my people to come home. Isn't that great? You say, Mark, I'm in a wilderness today. I just, my life is just all messed up and I'm struggling. Well, hey, God has got a promise for you. He is saying, I know how to make a pathway in the middle of the wilderness. Listen to this. In the last part of that verse, he said, I will create rivers for them in the desert. Oh, I need that. I don't know if you do, but boy, do I need that. I mean, there are times in my life where I feel like I'm going through a desert. I'm just struggling to get along. And God is saying, I know you're struggling. I I know you're going through a hard time. I know you're in a wilderness. I know you're in a desert. But it's all right because I know how to make pathways in the wilderness. I know how to bring rivers, create rivers, and put them in your desert. That's That's a great promise. And I love that. But we have to understand there is a formula for getting there. God is not just saying, now I'm going to make a way for you. And letting it stay there because, see, we could have all kinds of conduct and behavior in our lives. And then all of a sudden God would bail us out and we would begin to think that that conduct is something that's good. And God is saying, no, there's a formula for getting to the place where God says he will make a way for us. And that formula is in these verses. And I just want to share those with you and I'll be through this morning. The first part of that formula is this. The Bible says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust is what matters most to God. What God wants from you more than anything else is he wants you to trust him. Now, just as you have a God who loves you, you have an enemy who hates you. He hates God. He hates God's people. He is a real enemy. And and please, don't get the idea that Satan is a cartoon character, you know, know, kind of some, some weird strange, ugly villain like you see in the movie. Satan is an angel, fallen angel, but he's a person with majestic powers. And he doesn't work necessarily in the realm of the physical. Satan works in the realm of the spiritual. And where he's going to attack you more than any place else is in your thinking. And I don't understand the mental electricity of all the things that take place and how Satan works in this fashion, but I do know he can attack you in your thinking. So let's do a little spiritual mathematics and add two and two this morning. If what God wants is your trust and Satan is your enemy, guess where he's going to hit you? Satan is going to do everything he can to get you to question God. This goes back to the Garden of Eden. You know, when you hear the story of the Garden of Eden about Adam and Eve and eating the fruit, you you can sort of get the impression that everything bad happened the moment that Eve pulled that fruit off the tree and they ate the fruit. That was the act. But that's not where the problem started. In Genesis chapter 3, 
Eve said to the devil, God says we must not eat it or even touch it or we will die. You won't die, the serpent hissed. God knows that your eyes will be open when you eat it. You will become just like God. You see what happened there? Eve was saying, I trust God. God has give us, given us some instructions, and I believe God. And Satan is saying, don't believe God. He, he's got something that he's holding back from you. He's trying to hurt you. And that's when they ate of the tree. Let me ask you a question today. And this is, this is for all of us. Have you ever had a friend turn against you without explanation? You just knew they changed. I mean, you, you just, I mean, you know, one day everything is cool and everything is fine and you're enjoying each other's company and you're doing things and, you, and, you, and every, you know, you're talking and, you're, and it's just great. I mean, you got this friendship going on. And then all of a sudden you see them and it's just different. And you think to yourself, what happened here? I, I didn't harm this person. I, I didn't say anything against them. What was it that changed? You just know it's stiff and awkward. Nine times out of ten, what happened is that somebody else got to that person and began to plant criticisms about you or plant doubt about you. And, and now, here, your friendship is strange. It's strange, and you're wondering, how did this happen? Somebody got to them and changed their thinking about you. Now, that's what Satan wants to do with you to separate you from God. He wants to get into your thinking and put doubt, seeds of doubt, questions about whether or not God is good in your life so that you'll be distanced from God. And if you've ever been through that in a friendship, and all of us probably have, you know how that that kind of thing is so hard to pull back together. Because you can defend yourself a thousand different ways, but after somebody else has planted doubts in the heart of a friend, it's very hard to get past that. So whenever Satan comes to you and he tries to make you think that God is not good, that things are not working out, remember this. Don't let him do that. God can be trusted. Everything that God tells you is true, and it will help you. Somebody will say, well, Mark, you know, there are just so many things I can't figure out in my life. I'm struggling, and, and if God were really good, then he would cause this to work for me or, or that. I was reading this week about when John Cavanaugh, the ethicist, went to work for three months at the House of the Dying in Calcutta, India, he was really seeking a clear answer for what to do with the rest of his life. And there came a day when he got some time alone with Mother Teresa. And she asked him, what can I pray for you about? And Cavanaugh said, I want you to pray for me so that I will have clarity. Very quickly and very strongly, Mother Teresa said, I will not do that. And he asked her, well, why won't you pray for me for clarity? Clarity is, is something that you have and, and I want. Mother Teresa said, clarity is the last thing you're clinging to and you must let go of it. When Kavanaugh com commented, as I said, that she always seemed to have clarity, she said, I have never had clarity. What I have always had is trust, so I will pray for you that you will trust God. See, most of us want that clarity. We want to know that everything is going to work out. We want the answers. We want the assuredness of the situation. But God is saying, look, if you want to get to the place where I eventually will make a way for you, make you a path in the wilderness, bring you a river in the desert, God is saying the first thing that has to happen is you have to trust me with all your heart. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to trust God with all your heart, because that's the, that's the catch for most of us. We trust God, 
but not with all of our heart. It's like the story I've told at Messiah for years about the old fellow, quite elderly, who had never flown in an airplane. And his daughter wanted to fly him home to see her. And she, she convinced him to get on an airplane, paid for his ticket. And when she got to the airport to pick her dad up, she asked him, she said, Dad, what would you think about the flight? He said, it was all right. She said, she said, were you scared, Dad? He said, well, I'll tell you one thing. He said, I never did put my whole weight on the thing. <clears throat> now listen, if you're going to trust God, you can't trust him and then back up and trust yourself or trust him and then doubt him. God is saying, if you're going to trust him, you must trust him with all of your heart. <clears throat> I was searching for a practical way to explain this to you today, what it means to trust God with all your heart. Here's what it means. It means that his voice is what you base your decision on. Now, trusting God doesn't mean that you're not conflicted because you will have conflict in your thinking. But it means that when the chips are down, When you've got got to make your decision based on one voice, you choose to let it be God's voice that you make your decision on. You may be still struggling and and maybe even worrying a little bit, but you say, you know what? At the end of the day, I'm going to take God at his word. My my predecessor, Roy Johnson, who preached at Messiah for many years, had a a saying that he, he quoted from time to time. He said, if you don't have faith, just act like you have faith. That's good advice. What he meant was sometimes you're still struggling emotionally and mentally, but you act, you make your decisions based on what God says. Let me give you a physical example of that. Let's say that some of you are looking into buying a house right now. Probably some of you are right now in this, in this worship center in the early service. Some of you are house shopping. Now, let's say right now that you look at a house and you find a house. It's the perfect house for you. It's within your price range and it's a very good deal. But let's also say right now that you work for a local company where job security is a little tenuous and you're not totally sure you're going to have a job. Now, do you see what I'm saying? When you walk in to shop for that house, you've got two voices coming at you. This house is a very good deal, but I'm not sure I've got job security. So one voice says, don't buy the house because you could lose your job. The other side says, buy the house because you've got, this is, you're never going to see a deal like this again. Now, here's the thing. At some point, you've got to pull the trigger, right? You can debate both sides, but at some point you're going to pull the trigger. And one of those voices is going to weigh louder than the other. That's what I'm talking about in your life on a daily basis. God will say one thing to you, but life and circumstances will say something else. Trusting God with all your heart doesn't mean that you're not conflicted. It just means that when you've got to pull the trigger, you go with God's voice. You go with what God is saying to you. Now, let's take the second one here, because the first one was trust in the Lord with all your heart. The second thing that God gives us in this formula is don't depend on your own understanding. Don't depend on your own understanding. Now, there are two thoughts that are inherent in God's command here that are very important. And the first thought is this one. We have an understanding. If you live long enough in life, you're going to develop an understanding. You're going to form opinions about life based on your experience. And the body of those opinions becomes your understanding. And we have sayings, right? I mean, Murphy's Law is, is a kind of human understanding. If it can go wrong, it will go wrong. And, and you know, we have all kinds of these kinds of sayings in our, in, our, in our nomenclature as if to say, this is my experience. This is what I believe. 
So the first thing that verse says, if the Bible says lean not on your own understanding, the first thing is you have an understanding. All kinds of things have bundled up to create an understanding for you. What your parents taught you, what you've learned in life, what you've experienced, the scars that you carry, the baggage that you have, all these things come together to form an understanding. It's almost like an internal bank that you withdraw from. A situation comes up in life and you say to yourself, what's my experience been? What have I learned? I'm going to go back into the bank and draw something out here that I've learned. The last time I did this, this is what happened to me. So I have now an understanding. I don't think I told you anything new. You all knew that when you came in this morning. But the second thing is a shocker. What God is saying about your understanding is it's not trustworthy. You have it and you've developed it and you've had it all your life. But God is saying it's not trustworthy. You cannot depend on your feelings. Some of you today, you walk in and you just say, oh, man, I feel like I'm never going to get anywhere. I feel like things are never going to work for me. I feel like my kids are never going to do right. I just feel like I'm never going to have any kind of blessing in life. The Bible tells you don't lean on that understanding. Some of us today, God has told us very clearly what he wants in our lives. And we say, I don't feel like that's what I want. Some of you have read an author by the name of Philip Yancey. He writes some great books. But he talked about one time when he was speaking and he met a woman named Susan who claimed to be a Christian. And Susan said to Philip Yancey that her husband did not measure up and she was looking for somebody else to meet her, her intimacy needs. When Susan mentioned to Yancey that she got up every morning to spend an hour with God, Yancey asked her, he said, in your meetings with the father, do any moral issues come up that might influence this pending decision about leaving your husband? Yancey writes, she bristled. That sounds like the response of a white Anglo-Saxon male. The father and I are into relationship, not morality. Relationships mean, relationship means being wholly supportive and standing alongside me, not judging. That's the way a lot of people think today. God wants me to be happy. If I love somebody, love is of God, so love can't be wrong. If I love somebody of the same sex, or if I love somebody who's not a believer, or if I, if I love somebody in a sexual way and I'm not married, God is all about love. Hey, listen, that's fraud. That's false. God is saying, if you want to get to that place where he will make a way for you, you've got to trust in him with all your heart. And then that bank full of understanding that you have, the way you see life and what you've learned, God is saying that's not trustworthy. You can't depend on that. Don't lean to your own understanding. And then finally, the third thing, the Bible says, seek his will in everything you do. I like the Amplified Version because often it'll flesh out a little bit of the text and help us understand more clearly. In Proverbs 3, verse 6 in the Amplified, the Bible says, In all your ways, know, recognize, and acknowledge him, and he will direct and make straight and plain your paths. Have you ever, have you ever been, I guess I'm talking about friends today because it kind of fits the text, but have you ever kind of been with a friend and you go to a party or something or you go someplace and, you know, up until you get there, your friend is your friend. But then once they get in there and start circulating with other people, they act like they don't know you. You ever been through something like that? I mean, it's like once they get with other people, they don't acknowledge you at all. And you walk around with them and they're not paying attention to you. They're not talking to you. They're not bringing you into the circle of talking that's going on with the other people. That's what this verse is talking about. The Bible is saying every place we go, God is with us. 
And what he wants is for us to pay attention to him, for us to acknowledge him, for us to recognize him. But it goes even deeper than that. Because basically what this means is that you go to him before you make your decisions. I'm talking, we've talked about moms today, and I think moms, most moms here, at least if you have teenagers, you know what it's like to have a son or a daughter who will just get themselves into a royal mess and then come to you later and you just think to yourself, you know, if you had just come to talk to me before you made this decision, this would be so easy. Have you ever been there? You know, it, you know, really, I know you're in a mess right now and you're hurting and you got all kinds of pain in your life. But, you know, this would have been so simple if you would have just come and talked to me. I could have helped you. But now after you've messed things up real bad, it's going to be a bigger struggle. That's what God is saying here. God is saying, talk to me before you get into trouble. Talk to me before you make your decisions. In Psalm 103, the Bible is talking about the Israelites and how they didn't do what God wanted them to do. In verse 13 of Psalm 106, the Bible says, yet how quickly they forgot what he, God, had done. They wouldn't wait for his counsel. In other words, they rushed into things before they checked out the advice of God. I know we have a number of attorneys who attend our services. And attorneys, you you guys know this, you ladies know this better than anybody else. Attorneys want you to run things, run the contract by them before you sign. It is much better not to sign a bad contract than it is to go to litigation afterward to try to get things settled. And your attorney will say, look, before you sign on the line, before you make this decision, run it by me, shop it by me, let me look at it, let me tell you where the pitfalls are, let me tell you where you could have some culpability, let me show you the language that's not going to work in this contract. And that's all God is saying. God is saying before you rush into stuff, before you start that dating relationship, before you take this job, before you try to settle this conflict with somebody else, I mean, you just put anything you want to put in that blank, but God is saying, shop it by me, run it by me, don't talk to me. I mean, God still wants you to talk to him after you mess things up, but God is saying, don't wait for that. Talk to me beforehand in all your ways, in all your situations. Acknowledge God. Don't bring him to the party and act like you don't know him. Acknowledge him. Give him your time. Give him his props. Give him his due. Give him his opportunity to share with you what he wants to do. And at the end, what is God saying? God is saying, I'll make a way for you. I'll make a pathway. If you will trust in God with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding, And in everything you do, seek his will. God says, I will help you. In Proverbs 16, verse 3, the Bible says, commit your work to the Lord, and then your plans will succeed. It was strange this week. I'm just sharing my heart. I've had this sermon for days now. And I've been working on it, and I've been thinking about all these thoughts that I wanted to give you today. Strangely enough, I don't know if you know what a preacher's world is like, but there are times when you have a sermon and God is saying, you're really serious about this sermon because I'm going to give you some opportunities to show me that you're really serious about this before you talk to other people. I feel like I've been in the lab this week (laughs) because it's just there have been situations in my life where I've just said, you know what, this isn't going to end well, this is not going to work out well, and I've had to catch myself. And so that I'll live up to what I'm preaching to you this morning. 
few moments ago, I asked you to raise your hand if you knew this verse, and just about every hand was raised. Knowing this verse and living by it is two very different things. But if you're here today and you say, you know, Mark, I so desperately need a river in my desert. Mark, I, I so desperately need a pathway out of this wilderness. I feel like I'm a, a still ball bearing, just bouncing off iron walls, and I don't know where I am. If you need that here today, here's the way out. Start with what you know. Start with the part of God that you already understand and say, to the extent that I understand what God wants me to do in this situation, I'm going to trust God with all my heart. Now, you don't have to know everything in the Bible. You don't have to know where the ashes of the red heifer are. You don't have to know what the seal judgments in the book of Revelation means. You just got to know what God wants you to do and act like you have faith. I'm going to trust the Lord with all my heart, which means what I'm going to do now. I may be conflicted, but God's voice is going to be what calls the play, and I'm going to do what God wants me to do. And all this understanding that I have, I'm not going to rely on that. As much as my feelings want me to, I'm going to take God for his word. And I'm going to run things by God before I get into them. I'm going to check it out with him. I'm going to wait for his advice. And then you have a promise. If you will do it, those three things, God promises to make a way through your wilderness. I could use that. Couldn't you? How about it, moms? Isn't that a blessing for Mother's Day? Isn't that a promise for your children and your grandchildren? For all of us here today, God's promise is he will help us if we will do those three things. Would you stand with me, please?